Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the first episode of URT Number, the Amazing Race 32 recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Helmstone, and joining me as always is the Canadian who likes to describe himself as really fucking smart, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And finally making her return after 25 episodes and after 16 months of Amazing Race recaps is the lady who's applied nine different times to get rid of members of her family, Michelle Pierce-Denovan. Good morning. Had to start you off with a Michelle hates a family joke. If you don't know the reasons for that, Michelle does hate her children. Oh my god, stop. Seven years. Seven years, the same it's, joke. It's <laughs> Isn't it really convenient how when I met Michelle in January, she didn't have her children with her? Just saying. Actually, same for me too. I believe at the time it was claimed that she'd left them in um, in a car at uh, Kingswood Smith Airport with the window slightly down and a note on the windscreen saying, don't worry, they're fine. I'll be back. <laughs> I'll be back in four weeks. <laughs> so a lot's changed in the past 16 months since we've done an Amazing Race actual recap, rather than the, the preview roast from last week. I mean, Logan's moving to the Philippines. Yeah, I'm supposed to. We got an, we got an offer on a condo, but it was on a, it was on the second floor, so we're holding out for a condo on a slightly higher floor. So I'm excited that we'll be able to move when the borders are open for foreign couples to reunite in the Philippines. Uh, Canadian government just changed it so foreign couples can reunite now. And then one week later, or rather yesterday, the Philippines government is allowing non-essential outgoing travel for people out of the Philippines. So with both of these factors, it lines up quite nicely. So Gian will be coming over here for about a month between middle of November to middle of December after an eight months, after eight months of being apart and not seeing each other. And Australia's borders aren't even open, no, <laughs> which is board. which is no. kind of screwed me over. Being perfectly honest, because we're recording this on the seventeenth, and in a month I was meant to fly, and obviously I'm not now. Our internal borders aren't even open; like we can't even go no. between states. So we're not letting anyone else in. <laughs> the good news is, Amazing Race Australia is filming at the moment in the middle of fucking nowhere. It's quite Logan. Correct. Was it 870 people was the population of the first town they visited? 875 oh. it was indeed. Have they even started the second leg yet? <laughs> well, that was the second leg because, spoilers for a season that nobody's ever going to watch, including in Australia, um, there was hey. a team that was marked as the salvage team in there. So that means that somebody got saved by a salvage pass. But it's strange because that's 12 teams anyway. It's, it's, it's all very strange. Yeah, I figured that I watched that clip that somebody recorded. I'm thinking, did they seriously have 12 teams on the season that's going to take three months to film? <laughs> yes, yes, they did. Why? Why wouldn't you want to shorten the filming schedule when you already can only do about one round every five or six days, I think was the math, or every six days there's going to be one round on average? Why is the word for um, for Amazing Race Australia 5 existing? Because the ratings were horrendous, and they're persisting on making it basically a temple franchise for January, and it's going to bomb. But you know what? Australian Survivor didn't do fantastically in its reincarnation, but since then, because they you know, persisted with it, it's done gangbusters. It's just 
crazy now. So maybe they're thinking it'll go the way of the Survivor. Yeah, the difference is Australian Survivor did not get nearly as bad ratings in its first season or first reboot season as uh, mm-hmm. Amazing Race Australia did. Amazing Race Australia 4 had, I think it was three or four weeks where it were, or three or four episodes where it was actually lower than Mole Australia 6 when that got cancelled and shunted to late night. Mm-hmm. And they're racing for nine weeks. Well, it, they said somewhere it's nine weeks instead of three over two months filming schedule. I think the original season of Amazing Race did 39 days, and that's the longest, other than, well, of course, Celebrity China, where, but that, that Celebrity China was different because they let all the celebrities go home and do whatever and then just fly them out to the next location in a week or two weeks or three weeks whenever they could film the second leg. And they had a lot shorter, and they only did seven or eight legs overall anyway. This is a consistent filming schedule of over two months, <laughs> as opposed to 20 days. Anyway, American Amazing Race. Yes, yes, 32. We're not even talking about 33. <laughs> I would say a surprisingly okay premiere. And obviously I was going to completely disagree with me on this. Because it's Amazing Race and it's brilliant, it's back after 16 months. But um, yeah, it was better Look. than I expected. That's a low bar. <laughs> But I'm happy that you're saying that because I really have to disagree with you if you said it was less than that. Did you have any uh, disagreement with the preview, by the way, Michelle? Because I know you commented a little bit on chat to me about it when you were listening a few days ago. No, I didn't. I didn't. Um, yeah, no, there was just those couple of things that I, I I said to you. But otherwise, yeah, I'm pretty up with the preview and your how you think they'll all race, the standings and stuff. So, Yeah. Having said that, I would like to issue a few corrections. Number one, I was far too harsh on both Hunganji and uh, Mick and Vic, who are both brilliant. I really enjoyed both of them in this episode. And on the subject of Hunganji, thank you to the literally thousands of people who kept messaging me saying I was wrong about Indochina. I know I was wrong about Indochina. Hung even told me herself when she listened to the episode, and I have her tweet here. She said, to answer the question you didn't ask, Indochina actually includes modern-day Vietnam, Cambodia and Laos. So you're right, I'm Vietnamese-American and my family was fleeing communist Vietnam. So we should have trusted our gut, Logan. Yeah, that's a lesson for when you actually do a reality show, I guess. Yeah, and the final correction that I have to point out is everyone was going, the ratings were so low on this season. They weren't as bad as they could have been. Yes, it only had 3.43 million and it was the lowest Amazing Race episode ever. However, the lead-in was terrible on it. It only actually lost somewhere around 700,000 from uh, the Big Brother leading because that's doing really bad this year. Amazing Race 31's premiere had 5.74 million with a leading of 7.89 from Survivor from Survivor Edge of Extinction. And that wasn't even a good Edge of Extinction episode. That was the uh, the Ron boot, I think. Why is it a bad lead-in? Isn't Big Brother really popular and the season is really good this year? <laughs> Why? <laughs> Logan, come on. I, I mean, I'm in Australia and I've heard it's crap. <laughs> We're recording this episode on the day of the Final Four veto when somehow I am rooting for Christmas to win it just to shake up the boot order a little bit and force Cody and Nicole on the block together. What's funny is that the game is really interesting on paper once it hit final seven when it's just the committee alliance left. But I've had, I'm thinking there'd be a lot of interesting scenarios to come up, which I guess have happened. But 
the final seven are so unpopular that I have refused to watch. I'm like, I'm thinking, I have it on my DVR. Uh, no, I don't feel like watching Nicole. <laughs> <laughs> well. That's the thing. I genuinely don't know if there is a good winner that can come out of this season. I mean, Cody is probably the best winner. Not a good winner, but a. I would say the best case scenario is a Cody being a satisfying winner, but not necessarily a good winner, a winner you remotely root for, or a person you, you want to watch winning. No. So... Back to Amazing Race again. That is the last the last interlude, I think, in terms of how Big Brother is utter shite. We begin with Phil introducing the show by saying, this season the Amazing Race reaches one million miles. I have so many questions, and I know Logan does, because we were oh, slightly chatting about this uh, yesterday. Like, number one, how, how did they even calculate this, given the wacky routes that some of the teams took in the first seasons? And number two, more importantly... It is a shite premiere title. It's nothing to do with this episode. They don't reach it in this episode. So what is the point? There's only one way that you can have the episode named after a number, and that's if Kelly and Lavana were eliminated. Then it fits in with the whole theme of what goes down, which would have been really bad comedic taste on the part of production. There are some really good quotes from this episode they could have used as episode titles, and they still don't. And it just blows my mind. I don't know. They're probably, uh, yeah, they, I think they do the one million miles when they're over somewhere in um, South uh, South America, don't they? I think after the, when they go over the Amazon, Bertram yeah. or Bertram or Phil said it's when they had one million miles and they did, didn't do any celebration for it. <laughs> yeah, I wonder why they didn't make that episode that title. They should have just made it that episode, whenever that is. It's probably going to be like three, like four, I think. We've got quite a bit of South America to come now. Leg three, I think. Yeah. I can't remember whether it would hit leg three or four. Mind you, having said that, the leg three country has been revealed, so I can't remember whether it's Brazil or the next country. I'm trying to be quite good this season of not confirming anything that CBS haven't confirmed. <laughs> I think they said Brazil in the interviews. I'm sure Bertram and Phil both said Brazil. That's the point. They should have, if they're going to have Phil do a stupid voiceover at the start of the episode like this one, they should have done it at, in leg three for my taste, because it's utterly irrelevant until then. What would you have called it? What would you have called the episode? I mean, obviously, for my taste, it would be, we're really fucking smart, but they would never get away with that one. <laughs> That's a Joey Cavino quote, I believe. <laughs> I love it when Cavino always tries to um, to defend him and Tara. We're wicked smart. I mean, you could have found a better quote than One Million Miles, which is utterly irrelevant. That's all I'm saying. All right, moving on. Or it's like being bit by a pit bull without no teeth. I like that one as well. I wish they would have made the episode title a bit more accurate. Like I know, I know the third episode is when they celebrate one million miles. So I wish for the first episode they were accurate with the distance traveled, so they could say the episode title could be nine hundred nine nine thousand two hundred twenty two miles as the episode title. <laughs> that, that'll work. <laughs> Just rolls off the tongue. Yeah. And um, just in case it wasn't clear, uh, all of Reality TV Warriors episodes, on the whole, are uh, recorded under COVID secure conditions. Um, just just in case it was not clear to everyone, we are in different countries and therefore are the prerequisite two meters apart at all times. Actually, different countries, different countries didn't suffice. We took social distancing to the next level by making sure we were all separated by a different continent, including an ocean. 
Yeah, and Logan, and Logan is always forced to wear a mask, but that's just because we don't want to see him. I'm, I'm wearing like a uh, next week. I'll sound a lot like Bane from Batman. Yeah, I just needed to make that clear because there were some people who did not understand that maybe shows can film before the uh, the end times and actually film in in a COVID secure condition. Hong really took a tumble. <laughs> like I was watching uh, watching Taskmaster on on Thursday night, which is amazing if you've never seen it. And they record their studio bits normally with everyone quite close together. Everyone was so far spaced apart, and yet the continuity announcer before it still had to say this was filmed in a secure in a COVID secure manner. And it's like no shit. I really thought that it was COVID unsecure to have everyone five meters apart at all times. No people, just this people. But yes, this season was filmed far before coronavirus was even a thing. And um, according to Phil, now 11 new teams from all walks of life are joining the race. But of course, they remind us of all the um, the new teams by showing us horrible old ones. And ones who nobody likes. And nothing before season 14. <laughs> yeah, which I know Maneve was, uh, was properly happy about. And um, yeah, it's all walks of life, as long as you're a pro athlete, given that 40% of the final 10 are pro athletes. D'Angelo and Gary begin by saying the race was made for them, and Kaylin and Haley, another correction coming here, say they moved out super young, they are from the School of Hard Knocks, I know I did say they looked a bit pageanty. This was, of course, as I have pointed out on social media, um, our preview was recorded before all the videos came out, so we had no idea what these people actually talked like or anything. I had no idea of Kaylin and Haley's background, it didn't mention it in their text bios whatsoever. We just had a hashtag BMW. Yeah. And something else that wasn't in the bios was the fact that Leon and Lana met on Tinder 10 months before the race, and are now married. And Leo and Lana say they will be underestimated as the nerds. And the start line, as literally everyone on the internet knew from the past two years, was the Hollywood Bowl. Phil asks for the traditional first impressions, and Gary and D'Angelo get called out by Riley and Madison for being former NFL players. Gary and D'Angelo got a lot of... Not many teams got shown in the preamble prior to the starting line. But Gary and D'Angelo came far and away with the most airtime of any team. I have a feeling they're not long for the race and they're just getting all the mileage they can out of them, being honest. What's the percentage of the 1 million miles of mileage that they get? (laughs) Maybe 1% at most. Now, 10,000 miles is probably a bit too much, actually. Yeah, I'd say 0.5. Yeah, half a percent's a decent amount. That's still 0. 0.49% or 0.499% more than Eric and Lisa got in season 15. And Will and James are confident. James says he's applied nine times with different members of his family. Including Family Edition. Yeah, including Family Edition, which I think I did mention in the preview, actually. Because he, he did mention he'd applied uh, since Family Edition. That's amazing. And I have also found out that we have, well, James and I have like 37 mutual friends on Facebook because he... Um, played orgs. He did, and he's actually playing one right now. I noticed him tweeting one. He's uh, he's playing a Big Brother one at the moment. Oh, is that that MMO Big Brother game? I'm not sure. Yeah, I wonder what platform he's on. Yeah, I know he's playing one right now because oh. he has been tweeting production about it. Why? Because they're not giving him some Big Brother books or something. I don't know. Oh, okay. <laughs> but yeah, James is rather uh, rather involved in the. Uh, the fan communities of a lot of reality TV. Mm. And Phil finally confirms, unlike the press releases, that the race is 33,000 miles. And Nathan and Cody say it's not the opportunity of a lifetime, but 100,000 lifetimes. 
It, I'm so happy they're on. I'm so happy James finally got on. Someone who tries out time and time and time again, like like Logan for Big Brother, finally gets on. Like, it's so good. Yeah, but by that measure, are we actually going to be celebrating Logan being on for any other reason than us getting to take the piss out of him when he goes on week one <laughs> on Big Brother? It will obviously come from a huge place of love, Logan, but if if you do somehow get on Big Brother Canada at some point and go home first, I will never, ever let you live it down, ever. <laughs> this will be my ninth audition for Big Brother Canada in addition to the six I've already done for Amazing Race. This tally's getting ridiculous. On, and the two I did for Survivor. God. It's not 525,600 auditions. That's how many times that I've been rejected by TV. <laughs> Did you not try uh, Tough as Nails, Canada? I, I didn't even know there. I, I could apply for that. We'll see how that goes. I got to start somewhere. <laughs> Please find some way of claiming that a TEFL teacher is um, <laughs> what is this? <laughs> the backbone of the Canadian economy. Exactly, because let's be honest, it is the only reason I would ever willingly watched off as nails given how awful it was it was boring <laughs> i'm sure they'll get john montgomery to host the canadian version of it see monty would work for it that's the thing monty is a better fit for it than phil would be and it's phil's show so their first clue is on top of their bags they need to read it and then get a cab to lax and of course all the cabs are waiting because it's the middle of the night at the hollywood bowl and interestingly did you notice who was first to the bags uh not Levon and Kelly? No, it was James. Aww. James's running training seems to have been uh, been paying off because he was the first person to get to the clues. Or pure adrenaline. Yeah, pure adrenaline's correct too because, God, he's waited nine years. Or nine, what, however long. How, when was Family Edition? 2005. Oh, he's waited 15, no, take off two, 13 years. And I, I must say... This cast is good, but it could be a bit better. However, there was one notable exception, which was Rachel Riley, obviously, and I think she was a bit busy with all her jobs. I can almost hear the sigh of Michelle because she knows exactly what I'm about to do. <laughs> because <laughs> Rachel Riley's not appearing on this season, which means she has more time to devote to her day job as a, I have not even seen these, Bindles literally sent me them, I've not read them until now, so expect some laughter. Her day job as a jet ski cartographer, truffle hound, erotic fiction bear... <laughs> Erotic fiction beta tester, crystal retriever, revisionist historian, Bond girl, four guy, avant-garde fire guard, junior master chef, YouTube table tennis vlogger, goo harvester, semi-sentient salamander, lactokinetic supervillain, xenophobic Canadian television producer, biodegradable shopping bag, grassy knoll patroller, insurance sales quacker, and inanimate carbon rod. Why are you doing this again? <laughs> and what is goo something? Goo collector? What the hell? Goo Harvester. I have no idea. He, What I said to him was, you can send me a list, but I'm not reading it till Saturday when we record. Oh my God. Maybe a Goo Harvester is a term for fan, big fans who buy records by the Goo Goo Dolls. Maybe. Um, in case anyone didn't listen to our Season 31 coverage, understandable, it was a terrible season. Not from our podcast, but generally. Rachel Riley had such ridiculous jobs in her bio that we uh, we took the piss out of them every single week by doing ridiculous ones, thanks to friend of the podcast, Bindles, and uh, he decided that it would be fun to do it again just for the premiere. It will not be happening again, probably, unless you expect it. Isn't Big Brother's motto, expect the unexpected? 
exactly. He he said he's not doing them every week. <laughs> Depends how bored he gets in Aussie lockdown. Very true. Anyway, more war crime behavior because the intro did not even have any proper head turns. That is unacceptable. Oh, that's why you didn't like the premiere as much as you could have. No head turns. <laughs> They've let me down with the um, with the titles, and we won't even see them for the rest of the season. Let's be honest. Wait, didn't didn't the girls do a head turn to the camera with their arms folded? It was a sway. Was yeah, a sway. it was more. It was more of a swing. A swing. The the um, oh, God. the head turns are when people are back to the camera and then. Oh, you want you want a full one eighty. You want a one eighty. I think they were a ninety. Oh yeah. We want a Terry and Ian. Should be at least one every season. However, Nathan and Cody's is by far my favourite because they subvert the usual dating couple one of the girl jumping into the guy's arms by having uh, having them do that as well. In the final season, they need to do a 360 degree head turn. <laughs> like Beetlejuice. <laughs> like ex- yeah, Exorcist style. Maybe they'll get Kenton Vixen back to do that. I don't know. Isn't that more of a Big Brother thing to kind of... You know how they mess with the splashes in the uh, the Big Brother intro or whatever it is? Um, just have, have someone's head turned 360 degrees and spray water at the camera and go on to the next person. Oh, funny that that would have made this season watchable. So they all land in Trinidad at 9pm. Jerry is the first person to do the trope of we're in a race. And he seems to have already lost his voice, which is delightful and very funny for the rest of the episode. And Frank says that he grew up in the shadow of Jerry's NBA career. Now he gets to be in the shadow of the airtime of the other teams. And they need to fly to Trinidad, because I actually didn't say this when I was uh, discussing James being the first of the bag. They need to fly to Trinidad and take a taxi to a 24-hour fruit stand where they'll find the next clue. And Michelle and Vic weren't that close growing up. Vic was apparently the favourite. And it's Riley and Madison who are the first to arrive, followed by Hung and Chi. The teams must pick up a pair of oil drums, roll them a quarter of a mile to a street party, and find the midnight robber. The first seven to find him will get an earlier flight to Tobago at 7.40am. Michelle and Vic. Oh my god, I love Michelle already. She is so good. She made me laugh so many times, just just off the bat. Just burst out laughing. I love her one-liners and... Oh, I think some of the fans don't like her already. I don't understand what there isn't to like. She's great. Their bio was awful, and I don't understand how people this fun can have such a terrible bio. It's really weird. Because Hung and Chi didn't give us the impression of them being far more competitive than you'd think. They gave us the impression of being a really nice, sweet married couple who probably weren't long for the race, whereas Hung is proper competitive. She's going to kill people. She could get five concussions and she'd <laughs> yeah. still be going. <laughs> yeah, her first thought when she got the concussion at the end was not, oh crap, I've got a concussion. It was, I'm on the mat. Yeah. Like, that's fun. And I don't understand where that came from out of the kind of middle of the road bio. They're kind of the poster children already of us not getting the right impression for them in the preview because... We didn't really get much of an impression off them at all. It was funny when when Phil when Phil was asking if she was okay, and she says, "Well, I'm on the mat." And then Phil says, "Oh, well, what place are you in?" She says, "No clue." <laughs> <laughs> so Hung struggles to roll her barrel as she's five foot, but they are here to win. But how high energy is everyone rolling those barrels? Like they're like 
It's like they're all on steroids going down that street. Some of them are on steroids. I've just never seen a start that's just so high energy like that. I'm just trying to think of what the timeline of this would be because they left LA at night and then went to Trinidad at night. I was thinking about this too, that this was probably a long first leg. Yeah, because we didn't actually get a flight map, which is rare. We do get a travel map next week, I'm, I'm assured. We didn't get a flight map at all. So that implies there was a long layover somewhere. Probably Miami? Yeah, it would have probably been uh, LA, Miami, and then and then Trinidad. But it seems like they're very high energy for having probably travelled for about 20 hours by that point. They never touched Port of Spain when they were in Trinidad, right? It was just in a random town? Yeah, they, they drove immediately from the airport in Port of Spain. Yeah, because I know I was surprised they did anything on the island of Trinidad because if you do some searches about Caribbean islands you should go to, Trinidad as opposed to Tobago is is quite a dangerous place for tourists. They have walled and gated communities almost like they do in Johannesburg. I was thinking this because in the preview, we did say thanks to um, one of Jerry's favorite places being Trinidad because of the chocolate. We said... That's good, because, you know, they only go to Tobago. There was only sightings on Reality Fan Forum in Tobago, I think. I don't think there was any sightings in Trinidad. Well, I guess they weren't really in the public eye. They weren't in Port of Spain. And then if they went to a smaller area, all they had to do was roll those barrels, get their clue at that festival, and then they'd be shuttled away somewhere. Yeah. It'd be very... There wouldn't be much time to to see them. Especially if it was middle of the night, too. I just don't think reality fan forum would have found too many people who a live on Trinidad and outside of port of spain and b be up at midnight or one o'clock in the morning when they film that part <laughs> yeah to spot them be like oh yeah i'm glad i stayed up for this and i'm glad that we tapped into the the rural Trinidadian market of amazing race fans and one team i'm not less high on after this episode but kind of I don't think they're going to go as far as I'd kind of hoped in the preview. It's probably Aparna and Ishwa. Because Ishwa said he held back in the taxi scramble so he didn't get taken out by injury. What is that? You don't. You bash everyone else out of the way and you get a damn taxi. What? I mean, I even wrote down, I underlined, never, never hang back. What? That's what I mean. If your first instinct is to hold back. It's not a good thing, especially when they are a super fan team. They're probably the second most super fanny team after Will and James. Like they know that there is probably, if they're all landing at the same time, there is probably some way to get ahead, especially if you're landing at night. You don't hold back in the initial taxi scramble. I don't think Aparna and Ishwar were as big as super fans because they didn't know that they were the first East Indian American team to get past the first leg. That is true. It took uh, Veeple to actually tell them that, thanks to her Instagram story. And the irony is, of course, that um, that season was the one where they got really excited in their house for um, for going to um, to Chennai. Yeah. They didn't make that connection? No. Do you not remember Veeple and Artie not doing so hot? And what was the... Oh, yeah. For the... T- yeah, I'm surprised that... Ishwar didn't want to get involved in the taxi scramble because you have teams like, for instance, Will and James. I'm certain James, before the race, 
took a special form of martial arts training called Cab Fu, which is specifically designed to defend yourself from people trying to get your taxi during the taxi scramble. Did you watch their pre-race video that I sent you, Logan? No, I did not. One of the things they said about um, taxis, because they are super well prepared, is that they learn like six or seven words or phrases in most um, most common languages, mainly to help with taxis, basically to try and not screw over a taxi driver. So it's like, please, sir, go faster and things like that. Hmm. And something else that interested me is it was pretty obvious when when we saw the scene of Aparna and Ishwar in the um, in the cab that he had a phone. What? And I don't know where that came from. Ishwar is visibly holding a phone at one point in that cab ride. Really? Maybe he stole it. And it's around the scene where we we hear him say that he didn't rush in the cab scramble. Maybe it's the cab's phone. The cab driver's phone. Yeah, maybe. It just struck me as being a little bit weird. Well, it could have been the cab driver's phone. So Gary and D'Angelo are the first to get their next clue. Jerry and Frank, Riley and Madison, Hung and Chi, Nathan, Cody, Michelle and Vic, and James and Will are the other ones on the first flight. And then Kelly and Lavon, Kaylin and Haley, Leo and Alana, and Aparna and Ishwa are on the second flight half an hour later. Can I just interrupt? No. And uh, go on. <laughs> go on, you can interrupt. I just wanted to say, sorry, halfway through your thing. Um, I just love that start. I love that. It looks like such a fantastic party. I wanted to go there. I love steel drums. I just, I thought it was the, I just thought it was really happy vibe to start off the race. And I don't know, I was really, I was really happy with this first episode because it's, there's, there's like a party, there's steel drums, there's swimming, there's just, I don't know. It was really happy, happy for me. They're really heavy on the sensors at the party too. I'm not surprised. (laughs) (laughs) And once they arrive in Tobago, they need to head to Swallows Beach to find their next clue. And we get another introduction from Riley and Madison, who grew up in Hawaii, and they always had to shave when they were both at USC, so when they played volleyball in Greece, they grew beards and haven't shaved in four years. I didn't know they were in the UFC. Yeah, they um, that's where they met D'Angelo originally, was um, the fact that D'Angelo went from wrestling to UFC, and then they met at UFC as well, and they became friends and then had to hide the connection for this season. <laughs> yes. And once they get to Swallows Beach, they have to take a boat to the nylon pool and search for one of 120 fish that will match the fish in their boat and unlock the matching fish using a code in the boat to get their next clue. Classic needle in a haystack challenge that some teams do a lot better than others. I could have sworn that Ryan Madison said they would prefer to go to the sand spits rather than Swallows Beach. Logan's back, guys. <laughs> <laughs> and gary and d'angelo get an introduction where they said they played in north carolina for five years together they also cosplay including d'angelo being predator obviously given the dreads and i have done a bit of googling his predator costume cost him three thousand dollars he was apparently quite well known in the nfl circles for um for having badass halloween costumes including that one in 2016 i don't put together nfl players and cosplay for some reason, they sort of don't gel, so I thought this was a really interesting part of their life. Apparently, um, it's quite a well-known thing for NFL players to be into anime and stuff. Really? Because I, I thought the same thing, yeah. Someone on Reddit pointed this out, that apparently it's quite a um, quite a well-known thing that a lot of NFL players are pretty nerdy. 
because they don't really do anything other than play football, do they? Well, mm. American football. They'd be yeah, they'd be isolated from everybody else, so they'd form whatever hobbies they choose without much social interaction. Yeah. And next introduction is Nathan and Cody, who've been friends for six years, who met through noodling. Thankfully, they explain what that is. It's sticking hands in holes to find catfish. I still don't understand how noodles, noodles, how do noodle, the word noodle, how does that go to that? Like, okay, I'm trying to sort of get a vague semblance of some connection, but no, I'm trying, I can't, I can't. (laughs) Noodles are long and thin, catfish are fat, like, like, what? Please help me. It's often not much better when they describe noodling as being bit by a pit bull with no teeth. Have you seen the shows when they do that sort of thing? I, I don't know whether it was them that, I, that I, I'm sure they don't do it, but why the hell would you stick your hand into a hole in the water and not see what's going on in there? I, 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 oh, my God, it's just so insane. Is it so insane that it's stupid? No, it's or have not, we not got to that bit yet? Well, no, it's not stupid. It's insane. <laughs> what I need is a Michelle Bingo card. We need insane, stupid, and hey. 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 <laughs> and as much as I love Hung and Chi, their approach to the fish challenge was haphazard at best, I would say. I don't know the exact rules, obviously, in terms of how much they were allowed to go back and forth to the boat to try and memorise it, but they just didn't understand the challenge. They were like a fish out of water trying to do this. Yeah. And normally the only fish out of water are um, the ones that Nathan and Cody pull out of holes without seeing them. Yeah, the ones where they just stick their hand in. <laughs> they don't know what they're going to pull out. And then uh, Kelly and Lavon are introduced. They are Olympic sprinters and they say they want to spend time together as friends on the race. They are another team who, despite being pro athletes, are not long for this race. I would be shocked if they make it past about leg three or four. Yeah, even in the early stages of the episode, before we get into the numbers game, they well, I mean, we saw such, so little of them, but they didn't seem like the strongest team. They'll be fast to get cabs on equalizers, but I don't know in terms of individual tasks how well they'll do. Attention to detail doesn't seem to be a strength for them, which is really bad in this leg, and I'm fully aware of something that happens on the next leg that could be really bad for them as well. But I am going to mention that at the end of the episode. So Michelle and Vic are the first to unlock their fish, and teams must now head to Pigeon Points on their boats and find their next clue. And it's Riley and Madison who leave in second, with Jerry and Frank in third. They love naming locations after birds. Everyone shouting out colours, fries, Kelly and Levon's brains. <laughs> Indigo, violet, purple, magenta, vermilion. Goldenrod. <laughs> <laughs> powder blue and it's james and will who leave in fourth with hung and chi finding theirs and leaving in fifth after 55 fish seriously it's it's i mean they still got out of there in fifth so it wasn't that bad of a strategy they're still fifth out of the seven teams yeah yeah but still it's very strange strategy it is yeah maybe it was the best way to go to guarantee your other just power your way through it then you know you're not going to skip over any fish you're not going to mix up what the color combination would be because you're going to try every single pattern anyway there's no way you can skip over it how many fish were there do you know 
125? 120 there was. 120. Oh, I was off by five. If this was Price is Right rules, I would have lost. You would, yeah. Now, I'm glad Michelle is here, because I actually want to ask a genuine question now. How much about dyslexia do you know? Um, it, it's very different for different people. You can have varying degrees of it. Because I'm 99% sure that dyslexia is not numbers. Sometimes it is because they go backwards. It's dyscalculia, I think, if it's numbers. Ah, it's not okay. dyslexia. Dyslexia is words specifically. We're obviously getting onto the bit where Kelly and Levon say they, they're both dyslexic. Obviously not touching that with a barge pole, but I don't think dyslexia is the right word. I think it's dyscalculia if it's um, if it's numbers, and I'm pretty sure that one of the symptoms of dyslexia is making you good with patterns, not bad with them. So I think if someone's told them they're dyslexic, they're they're wrong. But it's yeah, they could yeah, truthfully yeah. But the problem is, is that everyone suffers in a different way. Like like with autism, it's it's so different for ev- for everybody. So. Um, she might be just saying dyslexia because that's what the world understands and not using the other term, even if she does not have it. That was my assumption. Yeah, I was thinking that too, where if were otherwise they'd have to waste an additional 15 seconds of airtime to remind us what the other term is. And then considering a chunk of the audience still didn't clue in that this was filmed before the pandemic, Good luck having the viewers distinguish between dyslexia and dyscalculia. So James and Will leaving fourth with Hung and Chi in fifth, as I said, and then Nathan and Cody leaving sixth, Gary and D'Angelo in seventh, Kaylin and Haley in eighth, Aparna and Ishwa in ninth, and Leona Lana in tenth, and Kelly and Lavan are left behind in last. What's uh, You can see a lot of production and camera operators throughout this task. They yes. don't even try to get out of the shot. Yeah, I don't know how they would have not made that happen, though, because a lot of these locations, especially the clue box at Pigeon Point, are very isolated. So there's nowhere for the um, for the camera crew to really hide when they're filming someone getting a clue out of a box behind the person doing a roadblock. Yeah, and there's very little space that's not in the water for the production to be standing in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the fact there's 11 teams, so they're gonna they're bound to get into each other's shots. And Kelly and Levon say they hate losing more than they love winning, which is a shame. And they finally leave after over 60 fish. And when they get to Pigeon Point, it is the roadblock, which is who thinks they can steal a show. And in this roadblock, one team member must learn how to play a piece of music, Deo, on a steel plan, which is apparently Tobago's national instrument. And it is Michelle, Madison, Will, Frank, Chi, Gary, Cody, Aparna, Leo, Kaylin, and Kelly during the roadblock. Did you see the roast of Phil Kogan on Twitter? I referenced it in my Instagram video. Oh my god. What happened? Did you not see Phil's tweets? Phil was tweeting along with Amazing Race and being the sassiest he has ever been. He was so bitchy to people. It was really fun. What did he say? So let let me get the screenshot up or I can just send it to Michelle, I guess, in the chat. Let's see. So essentially, someone said, couldn't they get a less stereotypical version, uh, a less stereotypical piece of steel pan music for Amazing Race? And Phil replied, have you ever tried clearing music? There's not actually that many songs that are written for steel pan. Yes. He was being properly bitchy to people, and that wasn't the only one. There was about three or four different tweets where I think Phil sent them off because he'd been having a glass of wine or two, and then probably (laughs) deleted them the next morning. Yeah, and it took, I, I referenced this too on Instagram, but... There's a story that in 
the a Benihana Christmas episode of The Office, using four seconds of an Eddie Money song cost NBC $60,000. Just for four seconds of a song from the 80s. <laughs> oh, I like, I like Phil's... Mm. See, that... What is it? Six M's or five M's in a row? That tells you so much. He's like fuming. Mm. I have a feeling that Phil's a little bit pissed off that 33 had to stop filming and he maybe had a glass of wine or two while watching Amazing Race premiere this time and went on Twitter foolishly. And it's so atypical for what you expect Phil to do. It's more of a props thing. Yeah, it's what makes it so much more brilliant. I mean, it has been two years since he's been able to film a full season of The Amazing Race. So if anyone has any doubts, oh, would Phil ever stop stop hosting The Amazing Race? I think the answer is a pretty clear no for the time being. <laughs> oh my God, his second reply. Oh, this is gold. I'm going to have to go and look at Twitter. <laughs> this is great. And the roadblock is where we really get the sense that maybe Michelle and Vic are going to be our villains of the season. I think they're brilliant. And I am way higher on them than I was in the preview, unsurprisingly. But what did they do wrong? I mean, all she said was something totally normal. He's Asian. He probably played piano. It's kind of the fact that every time we cut back to her, she seems to be pulling a face, I think. (laughs) They were definitely giving us the impression that (laughs) they want us to think Michelle and Vic are a little bit bitchy. I need her to stay in forever. I loved the energy we got off of it. It was so fun. Yeah. But I feel like they're probably going to be the team who end up getting so much hate on Twitter. They're the only team that's really getting a significant amount of hate from all the things I screenshotted. (laughs) I think they're the first team to use the word uh, syncopation (laughs) in a sentence. And in the other major storyline of this this challenge, D'Angelo has more rhythm than Gary, so they made a bad choice. That is an understatement. But D'Angelo said he's never played an instrument. He just assumes, he says, oh, rhythm is in my DNA more than Gary's. And I'm thinking, hmm, maybe best for us not to elaborate this on national TV as to why you assume this way. (laughs) And Michelle fails on her first attempt. Chi, however, does not, and they leave in first. The teams must now race with a goat to the pit stop at Baku Integrated Facility which is the pit stop for this leg of the race, the last team to check in will be eliminated. And then, who was it, Victoria Michelle, who states that the Chinese must be better at at piano than Vietnamese? Yeah, I don't understand that. I don't understand that little correlation. I do. I've taught about 500 different students now over the past two years from China. And there's quite a few who do play a lot of piano. In fact, I have one student who does, I think he plays it for two or three hours every single day, playing the piano. Yeah. So, I mean, and there is 1.4 billion people in China, and there's about, what, 100 million Vietnamese? So just think if you pull the best piano players from China, the best of Vietnamese, there's a lot bigger selection pool, too, for China. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but generally, I mean, I, I work at a school which has a lot of Asians and I've got Asian friends and I'd say, God, 80% of no, 90% of them play an instrument of some kind. I am wondering whether you guys spotted what I did with this, though, because 
as I said, teams was now race with the goat to the Baku integrated facility, the pit stop for the regular race. Phil didn't call it the pit stop. Phil called it the finish line for this leg of the race. And they kept that in the episode. And they 100% should not have kept that in the episode. Well, they, they're doing a play on words because it is a finish line for the goats. Yeah, but it's not a finish line. Finish line is the end of leg 12. Yeah, but they can call it a finish line because it's not the pit stop. They always call it a pit stop. So they can call it finish line because it isn't a pit stop. Yeah, but it is a pit stop. It's just to keep on racing pit stop, but we'll get into that argument fairly soon because there are a lot of people very grumpy about the fact that Nathan and Cody managed to get themselves eliminated at a no rest pit stop. Yeah, I know. It is still a keep on racing, like no matter what. At least they didn't call it the finishing point, which was used as a rep marker or a pit stop in the Amazing Race 4. What they should have done is said teams must cross the finish line with the goats and then check in at the pit stop. Maybe that was the rest of Phil's sentence, but they had to cut that last second for airtime. So Michelle leaves in second, and she is not a happy bunny to be beaten, and Madison was nowhere near loud enough in his first attempt, Will fails on his first, and then Madison leaves in third on his third attempt. And now my favourite scene of the entire episode, which is Hung and Chi checking in, because... (laughs) This is the point where I think I was fully on the Hung and Chi train, choo-choo. <laughs> because <laughs> we get the repeated warning of make sure you don't let go of your goat, otherwise you'll have to go back. And as we've previously established, Hung is five foot and a hundred pounds, and she gets dragged by this goat. It is not even close. But to her credit, she keeps holding on. Which does mean that she joins the very fabled club of people who reach the pit stop mat and stack it. (laughs) I love how this made Phil go absolutely insane with every other racer saying, drop the goat, drop the goat. (laughs) If this was the mid-era of Amazing Race, we would have seen this clip so much in adverts. We would have seen it thousands of times before this uh, episode actually Mm -hmm. aired. Because it's so fun. Imagine if Hung had to be, started experiencing concussion symptoms and had to be medically pulled from the race. So when they're asking, oh, why were you medically pulled from the race, Hung? Oh, it was because a goat made me fall. She got a concussion after this. That's the thing. She's confirmed that she had a concussion. (laughs) But to her credit, she got straight back up and said, I'm on the mat. I don't care. And then they actually went back and checked in. At least it wasn't a severe enough concussion. The thing is, I would have thought that they would have, you know, preempted this and thinking those goats are quite strong. We've got some small racers. Maybe we don't make the pit stop mat vinyl. Maybe we make sure that it is not wet on the ground before any racers get anywhere near it. It does look shiny though. They... It was. It was it was far shinier than normal. Mm. It looked like a vinyl mat. And that is why she slipped. She didn't slip because the goat pulled her. She slipped because it was a vinyl mat and the floor was obviously a little bit wet and she just kind of skidded. I like how there's the, the alternative was worse though. It was either fall and hit your head on the mat and get a concussion or collide with a 300-pound guy from Tobago. <laughs> <laughs> there, there wasn't an official detour in this episode, but the detour <laughs> was fall or collide. I just had a, a, the biggest... Vision. Imagine if the goat just took her a little bit further, or she slid a little bit further, and she took Phil or the guy down with her onto the mat. <laughs> it's a three-person tumble. 
I've genuinely watched their check-in scene lots and lots of times, as you might guess, because I was responsible for the the gif of Hung slipping. I notice new things every single time because as soon as they see her coming at a hundred miles an hour with that coat, <laughs> Phil and the greeter step out of the way. <laughs> They know that she's going to collide and slip. They step out of the way. And as soon as she does slip, Phil kind of tries to step in and grab her. But the best thing is, as you guys may have seen, I've reversed the gif as well. And if you reverse the gif, it looks like Phil is controlling her with telekinesis. And it makes me laugh so hard. You shall not check in. (laughs) I don't know whether you've seen it, Michelle, but it, it just makes me giggle so hard whenever I see the reversed one. And it's, it goes from her sat on the mat, and then Phil just kind of raising his arm and, and her <laughs> flying up in the air. It's so funny. <laughs> Phil has learned how to become a Sith Lord. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Hung's goat runs off before they even begin, and she gets dragged along. Michelle also drops hers, and then Hung slips on the mat, gets picked up by Phil, and they check in in first. They win nothing at all. Much to their irritation. Because other keep on racing legs in other seasons sometimes have unaired prizes or even aired prizes too. Here it truly was nothing. They didn't get anything. Sometimes, more importantly, they give out express passes. And I'm wondering whether that's going to play into things given that next leg has a yield. But we'll get to that in a minute. They win absolutely nothing. And as a bonus, Phil gives them the next clue and says, keep on racing. And teams must now fly to Bogusar in Colombia. They have $232 for this leg of the race. And I thought it was very interesting. They didn't show Hung and Chi actually reading out what the first route marker is, which is that they will find their clue at the airport. The second place team is Michelle and Vic, who get no match at. Will and James leave in fourth, with Jerry and Frank in fifth, and Leon and Alana in sixth. Madison and Riley checking in third. James and Will checking in fourth. Jerry and Frank checking in fifth, and Leon and Alana checking in sixth. The check ins happen so fast during the stretch that I. That in my notes, I jumped from third place to fifth place, and I was thinking, where did when did fourth place check in? <laughs> I had to pause. I had to pause just to write, be able to write down the numbers. See, it's really interesting because if you were going to show a team's match out of those, you would show James and Will because you'd show Phil basically saying, "Is the race everything you thought it was going to be, James?" No, it's shit. <laughs> <laughs> That's been fucking awful. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> I hate the goats. I hate the fish. I am quite surprised they didn't show James and Will's first check-in. I'll be honest. Are you surprised? I want to I quickly throw this out there before I forget. Are you surprised they went with three full tasks in a 40-minute premiere? I'm not, because they do like to do that in premieres. They don't tend to have a truncated task anymore in the premiere, because it's it's all essentially character moments. That's That's what you want in a premiere. That's the reason the bar is so low for this premiere for me is the fact that all you need is to really introduce all 11 of these teams. And more so than quite a lot of other recent premieres that we've seen on Amazing Race, we actually got a sense of all 11 of these teams, I think. I think we did too. I thought it was pretty well done that we got to see all of them, and it was only 40 minutes, and and we... I don't know, it was a bit jam-packed. It was jam-packed. Yeah, it was very, very busy, and maybe they would have benefited a little bit from having a longer time slot, but obviously they were airing at 9-8, it was going to be a bit tough for them to get an extra half hour or whatever. Did you see the rumours that this premiere was supposed to be have a longer cut? No, it wasn't. Yeah, you think it was just supposed to be two episodes back to back? It was utter horseshit spread on Reddit. I was going to bring this up at the end of the episode, but it's utter nonsense. 
the two-hour premiere that they were going to have on the 20th of May was going to be Trinidad and Tobago and then Colombia. And the reason for that is the fact that episode one is a key on racing, so therefore they flow nicely into each other. Obviously, at the last minute, they found out they weren't going to be doing that premiere and had to recut this episode, which is why it feels a little bit rapid. It's not, I wouldn't say it's last minute. They've had five months to re-edit it. They found out last minute, and then, obviously, with all the lockdowns and stuff, it's much harder for people to edit and things. But it's blatantly obvious that this was meant to be part of a two-hour episode, because my feeling on it is that they were going to have everything a bit more spread out in Trinidad and Tobago, and then a little bit more truncated in Colombia. So it's going to be very interesting to see if the Colombia leg is a little bit kind of slow, which is my suspicion. I think they're going to struggle to fill 42 minutes with Colombia, because they were only intending on having maybe 35 minutes of Colombia. That's my gut feeling. So after this episode, who do you think is Michelle and Victoria's mother's favorite out of the two based on their performance? Has it changed? Is it still Victoria that's the favorite? It's still 100% Vic. Yeah. Michelle let her down by not winning, obviously. Oh, I see. So that takes, that's right. So next roadblock, she has, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a competition for their mother's love. Yeah. So Cody says that his biggest fear is letting Nathan down. The money means nothing to him, really, which is good in the end. And despite D'Angelo's fears, they leave in ninth with Kaylin and Haley leaving right before them. Kelly finally finishes it in tenth, and Nathan and Cody leave in last. And despite Ishwar telling her not to, Aparna lets go of the goat on the first attempt, but they check in seventh. Then Kaylin and Haley checking in eighth. And something interesting as well, Gary and D'Angelo's boat only has one engine, as opposed to the others they are in a foot race with who have two. I feel like if they had got themselves eliminated as a result of that, there would have been a production complaint here. Mm. They really should have arranged 11 boats that all had two engines. Yeah, that wasn't smart. They were very lucky that Gary and D'Angelo didn't come in last, I would say. And what's even more unfair is that Kelly and Lavana have four engines in their legs oh my god one of them was actually faster than the goat at the beginning <laughs> that was Levon, i think oh my god so kelly and Levon checking in ninth with gary and d'angelo in 10th and nathan and cody in last and eliminated now obviously as is traditional we're not going to talk about the coming up on this season trailer because it's obviously nonsense and should never happen However, I do have a bit of insight into what actually happens next week, which is that teams fly to Columbia and encounter a new twist to the yield. And we do know what the new twist is now, because this has been confirmed by CBS, which is why I'm talking about it. I don't know whether you guys actually know this. The yield is going to appear in Columbia, definitely. The twist to it, though, is that the first route marker takes them to a mine where they have to pick up one of 10 hourglasses, either 10 or 20 minutes, When they encounter the yield, if they want to use it, they have to put the hourglass that they found on the board as well. Okay. That's that's the best twist to the U-turn or yield in almost since its inception, I would say. Yeah, it's a really clever twist. I actually quite like it. It's going to be interesting because obviously teams are going to try and find an hourglass regardless, and if it's a 10-minute one, probably run to the next route marker and realise their mistake. And I wonder whether they're going to get warned about the yield beforehand or whether they just think, hmm, maybe this is going to come into play later. I don't think they're thinking, oh yeah, production's going to bring back this twist that hasn't been used since season 11, 21 seasons ago. 
<laughs> the other element to it is thanks to the fact that they've already released a clip of um of the introduction to the yield there is actually a pre-season 14 clip that gets played which is colin and christy getting yielded is it a chain yield like people were speculating can more than one team use it mm, not 100 percent. i would assume not but um it certainly only appears to be a single yield it doesn't appear to be a double yield yeah i was thinking another good twist would be if they if a team was just allowed to yield a team behind them, and they get yielded, and then that team can try and yield another team that's behind them and just keep going as a chain. There was an implication of a must-vote yield coming up at some point as well, but I don't know whether that was true or not. That may have just been spread. It's a rumour. It's just the rumour. So, we need to eulogise Nathan and Cody, and also, more importantly, we need to talk about the Keep On Racing slash Elimination twist, which isn't a twist at all. It's been used in Latino America. Yeah, well, those casual fans that didn't know that teams can be eliminated on a keep on racing leg, if only they watched Latino America, but now they're just they're just those stupid casuals. <laughs> the thing is, they did say in this episode, the last team to check in will be eliminated. They weren't subtle with it. Just because it's still a keep on racing leg doesn't mean that they, they were unfair to Nathan and Cody by eliminating them, because it's like, yeah, it's a keep on racing leg, but that means nothing in the in the grand scheme of things yeah and i would go on to add further that this is way better than all of those other keep on racing legs where the last team checks in and they don't get penalized whatsoever there's no speed bump they're not marked for elimination nothing's taken away from them it's just there's no penalty for coming in last on a keep on racing leg so i'm glad that i i, w- I mean i would have been happy with any sort of penalty for coming in last on a keep on racing leg but I'm even happier that, hey, you, you can be last and eliminated on a keep on racing. Like, there's there's actual consequences for the first time in 26 seasons since they started this twist. <laughs> yeah, my, my slight concern, I will say, is that they're going to do this and then have them all on the same flight again. The only way that this twist really works perfectly is if they actually get the chance to book their own flights. And actually make make Hung and Chi's advantage work. I don't know how many flights there'll be from Port of Spain to Bogota. I don't think there'd be many. <laughs> yeah, I'm fully expecting them to equalize everyone at the flight, but it does kind of make the keep on racing bit stupid to me. And why were Nathan did we talk about why Nathan and Cody were really eliminated? We didn't know. I think they were unfortunate. And I can't say that about a lot of first boot teams. I think they were genuinely quite unfortunate that they were just a little bit too slow on that roadblock. However, it turns out that actually they had to go back and get a microphone, which is why they really got eliminated. Yeah, that'll do it. Ooh. The thing is, I feel like they didn't do anything overly stupid to get themselves eliminated. It's just a lot of competitive teams. Yeah, it, it's just they were a little bit unfortunate with where where everything landed. Yeah. That's my gut feeling on it. I feel a bit sad for them because I always like teams who, you know, haven't travelled the world and haven't seen a lot. I always love those teams getting to do the race and seeing them experience all the other things in the world and then to be first or second boots, I always feel sad for them. Yeah, I was a little bit worried that they were going to turn into a Mark and Bopper and I would do a complete 180 on them and hate them by the end of it. But they were really nice. They're really grateful for just the experience of doing one leg. They seem like really nice people. 
not too many teams would be active on social media waiting two years for a season to air where they last only one episode and they got to share that one episode with 10 other teams. So they're waiting two years to be on TV for three minutes at the most. They seem like they're very level-headed, nice people. And that is a huge compliment, I will say, because usually the first boot, she kind of think, yeah, they deserve it, or yeah, it's their own damn fault. I don't think it was with Nathan and Cody. I think they just genuinely got a little bit unfortunate at the uh, at the roadblock. Was Cody the one that was hitting on all of the instructors yes. at the steel drums? Maybe he wanted to be eliminated then. Maybe that was his plan. If I'm going to get eliminated, may as well be eliminated a 10-minute boat ride away from everyone I was just hitting on earlier today. And I'm sure he got to eat one of the goats at the pit stop because everyone else had to keep on racing, so he gets to eat all of those goats. Yeah, good point. And, and, and then there's, there's, there's 120 fish in the water that they still have out there with various patterns that he can go noodle. <laughs> but Which sounds like a euphemism, but isn't. It does it sound like a video on one of the specialist websites you frequent, oh, Logan. God, <laughs> stop it. <laughs> but yeah, I think maybe he's the real winner out of everybody. And they get to go and spend three weeks somewhere. Which I'm assuming they've never spent three weeks in a resort at any point in their lives. So that'd be one one consolation from being voted out. I mean, voted from being eliminated first. <laughs> they should just have a three week montage of them at elimination stage, just doodling as many fish as they can. Did you say doodling or noodling? Doodling. I think you said doodling. <laughs> We should just have a montage of them at Elimination Station drinking Mai Tais and noodling all the fish. Yeah, there's a Mai Tai in one hand and a fist going into a fish in the other. <laughs> this is the best This is the best Elimination Station ever. This is much better than the race. Do you know where it was? Do you know where they went to? Well, if they were in turn down to Bago for the first pit stop, I mean, I would guess probably... Based on past seasons, Cancun would be a likely culprit. Yeah, I was going to say I'd guess somewhere I'd guess somewhere Central or South America purely because the first third of the race is in Central in South America, so it's going to be easy for them to get flights to to somewhere like Cancun. Yeah, and then if because if they go elsewhere, it's usually Portugal that somehow is an is an epicenter for elimination really? stations too. Wow. Yeah, Portugal's been used a lot. And, and Barcelona, I think, a couple well. times. In Barcelona, yeah. So I, I, my guess would be Cancun. Final, final question from me. Who do you think is getting eliminated next? In fact, not final question, because uh, we've got the yield to deal with as well. Well, I have been to Colombia, and what I have heard about Bogota, it's not the, it's not the easiest city in the world. I'm actually surprised that we've had two Colombia visits now, and Medellin nor Santa Marta have been visited. Bogota can be quite overwhelming from what other travelers have told me in Colombia. So I would say um, Kelly and Lavana seem to, they're already at the bottom. They, they just didn't show too much promise overall. However, Ishwar and Aparna didn't handle pressure the best this episode, I would say. I feel like they're not as competitive as in contrast to the other nine teams that we have left. I think it was probably first leg jitters for Aparna and Ishwar. But 
I don't know. It, it depends. I think they're probably not as long for the race as I would maybe like them to be. I think it's probably going to be Kelly and Lavon or Gary and D'Angelo going next up. And Jerry and Frank really surprised me. Yeah, oh, yeah, they did. I'm thinking, wow, they came in fifth. I didn't really, we didn't really get to see them a lot. And then all of a sudden they were in fifth. Yeah, we, we saw absolutely nothing of them, which makes me think kind of early to mid boot still. I think they're just going to kind of pop up for one episode and that'll be their boot episode. Yeah. It's tough to gauge when we had that preamble with Gary and D'Angelo at the starting line. We had Phil's disclaimer and then also fit in three tasks and a concussion. The other thing is, if my suspicion about the editing is correct, maybe they put in all that Gary and D'Angelo stuff to begin with because Gary and D'Angelo go home at the end of the two hours. Oh, that's a good point. I've just thought... Because then it would still technically count as their boot episode, even though it's actually separate episodes now. Um, And the actual final question, do you think the yield's going to get used? That's part A. And B, if so, who and to whom? I think if Michelle gets there, she'll use it. (laughs) Definitely. I see every single team in this cast using the yield if they get there. I don't know whether it's a bit early. I kind of worry for Hung and Chi getting targeted because they were surprisingly good on leg one. We don't even know if Hung remembers her own name from the concussion yet, though. Like, I think when they're on the plane ride and there's and she just starts repeating the same word over and over again, <laughs> I don't think it's, the other teams are going to be as threatened by her anymore. It depends whether everyone believes them when she says, no, we didn't get an express pass for coming in first. Or she says, or she asks, what show am I on? Where am I? What country are we in? This is not, this is, this is in California. Hey, I don't think Kaylin and Haley would use it. Hey, I don't either. Did we mention them at all this episode? Is that the first time their their names have been dropped? No, because I mentioned them at the start with the whole not being pageanty thing. And uh, Oh yeah, we did mention them over an hour ago. Yeah, we mentioned the McGiblets. Um, yeah, I guess I, I think now we've included everybody. Yeah, Jerry and, I think that's the first mention of Jerry and Frank. I think we're good. So something I want to mention is this season I'm really making a push for you guys to give us reviews. So if you're listening on Apple or Amazon or wherever, and I'm deliberately trying not to set off my uh, my Amazon device that's right next to my computer, if you're listening wherever and it allows reviews, you can unlock a special function by pressing the fifth star along and giving us a five-star review. I will have a quick skim over any of the good ones. Any of the good ones I may read out in these episodes. So make them as funny as you want. If you want me to say naughty things about Logan, put those in the reviews. I will happily do it if you (laughs) give us five stars. I am completely and utterly whoring myself out to reviews here because it really helps us out if you give us five-star reviews. And also, obviously, send it to your friends if they enjoy Amazing Race. If they don't, still send it to them because I don't really care. It counts as views. And if you give us a five-star review, we'll also announce the whereabouts of Michelle's children, which has been one of the one of our biggest <laughs> mysteries over the past several years. That is a good point. If you genuinely ask my family, they do think that Michelle's children are in an oubliette at the bottom of her garden. I, I actually don't know where my eldest one is right now. She's not in my house. <laughs> if that doesn't prove it, nothing will. <laughs> If Michelle's children are somehow listening, please call for help. You know the number. <laughs> yeah, Amber Alerts think... would really help. <laughs> you know what? Amber Alerts for Amber. I don't think they'd yeah, ever or, call or an Michael. Alert. 
I don't. I think they'd be scared to call you Michael. <laughs> I was more thinking of the police rather than me. But <laughs> if they want to ring me, they can do. <laughs> I will happily send them on to child protective services. Oh God. Um, have you guys got anything else you want to say? No, I'm happy. I'm happy it's back. I'm so happy. I thought you might be. <laughs> something else I, I know last last thing i promise something else i do have to mention is the fact that uh, we are branching out on social media as well probably since the last amazing race season we've started properly embracing instagram like it's 2014 but um fun fact logan is also now on only fans what i am that's an imposter do not pay money for that account michelle are you aware of only fans i'm aware of it i'm not on it good to learn <laughs> So yeah, if you, if as part of those five-star reviews you actually want to include Yes Please Logan set up on OnlyFans for some reason, then please do. Uh, because I will pass on any and all messages in these five-star reviews, as long as they make me laugh. <laughs> so anyway, thank you for listening to our Amazing Race 32 recap. We'll be back next Sunday and every Sunday after that to recap the season as always. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube or Instagram where we are RTV Warriors, or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan's on Twitter at LogSuperQuacky. Michelle is Bear3333333333. And I am MJ Harmstone. We are also two weeks out from the finale of Vistamol Renaissance. I was about to call it Vistamol 21, but it's not. Vistamol Renaissance. So you can join Logan and I for that every Wednesday. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next episode. Bye.